And now, this morning, uh, if we could please, if you may have your Bibles, you might like to turn to 2 Corinthians. Uh, this is, thank you, Tim. This is our, our second talk, really, into our 2 Corinthians series. Periodically, as a church, we feel it quite strongly that we want to go through a book in the Bible. And there's a good discipline about that, actually. It's our chance to submit ourselves under a book and allow the words to come through and dictate what we preach about. So there are times we feel prophetically to preach on a theme, and there are other times we feel strongly to preach under a book. And can I just say that if you weren't here last year, I know lots of people were away, uh, Matty P uh, launched us off in the series, and it's up there on the website, I understand. And could I ask you then, please, you don't trust me with a drink, do you? No, I don't. I'm going to kick it. <laughs> I might just go like that now. Um, just to say that... Uh, Please listen to that. It was an excellent, I've heard it, it's an excellent introduction into the series 2 Corinthians. It's outstanding, wonderful introduction. So please listen to it on the website and you'll get a grasp of the overview of where this is going to go. So that's Matty P. Last, um, last Sunday. And he said to, in fact, it was really Matt's idea that we look at 2 Corinthians. And uh, as I say, we do a series. And Matt just said to me, well, I think maybe we should have a, how about 2 Corinthians. And uh, I thought, well, yeah, I agreed. I thought, yes, and I'm really glad to agree because I've always loved 2 Corinthians because it's so personal and it's so practical and down to earth. Right? It doesn't have quite the same feel as some of the other high doctrine uh, books. I uh, think of R R Romans in particular or the first chapters of Ephesians, uh, which are so full of large-scale and glorious doctrine and truth Actually, 2 Corinthians is far more personal and autobiographical, and, and so in it we get to see how glorious truth is worked out on the ground in the life of Paul and in the local church. And that's great because it's not just theory then, it's, it's reality. It's worked out. It's a bit like looking at a photo of a, of a pav, a dessert, lovely glorious pav, which if I saw a photo I'd say that's a glorious truth. Uh, that's one thing, but it's another thing to eat it, you know, and to actually impart and to rather receive that glorious truth. And 2 Corinthians is like eating pav, all right? It's, um, it's taking that truth and taking it in. And, uh, and that's what it's about. And, uh, and in fact, you can see this happening right here in the very first chapter of 2 Corinthians, which we're looking at today, the very first chapter. Uh, and if we look at that, Corinthians opens with the usual kind of way Paul greets anyone when he um, writes to them. This is the first verse of 2 Corinthians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's a very standard way to open any correspondence back then in those days. You would kind of launch off your email back then, though you didn't have it. Uh, you would start that way. That's a very standard format. But you see, immediately it changes from that. Changes immediately. And Paul lobs in one of these great, amazing truths that I'm talking about right at the outset. And it's an astonishing truth and one that he will unpack over the course of the chapter and throughout the rest of 2 Corinthians. And this truth comes in the form of praise. Here it is. Starts off verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then here it is. Hold on to your seats. 
Here it is. The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Father, I just pray that as we look at this glorious truth and see how it's unpacked in the verses following, would you please bring us a revelation of your compassion and comfort and how it's worked out in the local church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. That's a wonderful, astonishing truth. Trouble is, I guess, in our day, we kind of skate over this because we hear a lot about this stuff these days. We talk about it quite a bit. But you've got to understand, back in the Corinthians day and age when Paul wrote this, it's like letting off a hand grenade. Paul's letting off a hand grenade. Because going back to the Corinthian culture of Paul's day, got to understand that when people thought or talked about God, their, their whole pagan worldview and background was to talk about not just one God, but lots of them, like your Zeus and your Poseidon and your Diana and other gods. There's heaps of them. And also none of them are particularly fatherly or compassionate, actually, if you read about them. They're not. If you read about them, they're a pretty dysfunctional bunch actually, the pagan gods. They're often vengeful and spiteful, and they get angry and offended easily. They're harsh. They're totally unstable, up and down. Don't know how they're going to be from one day to the next. A bit like you and me, really, but larger versions. All right? And you have to keep placating them with various sacrifices all the time to keep them on your side and, and prevent them from blighting your crops or destroying your herds. All right? You've got to just keep, look, keep them in a good mood. So they're a pretty cold and miserable bunch. So when Paul talks about God as the father of compassion and God of all comfort, it's like nothing they've grown up with. That there could be one God, that he could be father, and that he could be so full of compassion and comfort that he's marked out by those things. The father of compassion and the God of all comfort. It's just unheard of. The pagan gods are not like that. And, and so this is breathtaking truth to the Corinthians. And can I just say, it should be breathtaking truth for us too, because it's wonderful. Whatever you and I go through, listen, if you've given your life to Jesus, you now have a Father in heaven who is already compassionately leaning in to give you all the comfort and encouragement you'll ever need. That's how it is. And you'll see this heart of the Father actually right throughout the Bible. I love Jeremiah 31. This is, this is God speaking. He says about Israel, Is not Ephraim my dear son, the child in whom I delight? My heart yearns for him. I have great compassion for him, declares the Lord. Wonderful. Right there. Right there is the heart of the father delighting in his child, yearning for him. And I mean, how many dads here know what that feels like? Come on, we do. One of the great joys I've had in becoming a granddad, one of the, apart from reaching that age of, oh no, terrible, but one of the joys of, of becoming a granddad is finding that I'm stirred up again with all I ever felt as a father for a young child. It's kind of coming back to me again. So, and it strikes me and surprises me in so many ways. Often it kind of works out like this, that if I'm driving somewhere or I'm out and I hear that, I don't know, Stacy's come by and Izzy's at home, 
then I find myself turning the car ever so easily towards home and driving that much more faster to get there before he, before he goes, before he leaves. It kind of just captures you like that. Or if I'm upstairs and I'm working upstairs and I hear Tapia, another little granddaughter downstairs, I hear her laughing and the laughter comes upstairs. You know, it's not long before you've got to put the stuff away and just go downstairs actually and roll on the carpet with her. It kind of captures you by surprise. And actually, it never leaves you as a dad. Lonnie, isn't that true? Never leaves us as a dad. So if I hear Sam coming through the door or... Jamie stopping by, or even Tom coming into the room, truth is your heart still yearns for them. It doesn't change, actually. It's the heart of a father. However old you get, just doesn't change. Well, that's the heart of God. Isaiah 30 says this, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises up to show you compassion. I just love that. If you're a believer in Jesus, this is the permanent stance of God towards you. It's like he's always like a father getting out of his lazy boy chair and rising up to embrace you when you've arrived. That's the stance of God permanently for you. I think it's wonderful. Even while you were sleeping last night, he was leaning towards you in compassion. All because of Jesus, the blood that was shed for us that we've been celebrating this morning. Because of his blood, not because of my performance, nothing to do with that. It's about his blood and us becoming a child of God. And now this is his stance towards me, rising to show me compassion. Folks, this is glorious truth. You won't read about it in Stuff NZ or read about it in the paper. It is glorious truth. Glorious truth. He is a father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Now, in this chapter and beyond, Paul goes on to unpack and describe how that truth plays out and is experienced among the church. All right? See, I believe this. Paul's argument, again and again, is this. Yes, I can receive God's compassion and comfort on my own directly from him, absolutely. But... But, but, there is a special place given to the church to channel and impart his compassion and comfort to each other. In other words, in the local church family, you and I, we're called to be channels of the Father's compassion and comfort to each other and to the lost. That's how it works. We receive the Father's comfort through each other and we impart it to each other. That's how it works. And you can see this because Paul goes on to say this in verse 3, the next verse. He talks about the God of all comfort and he says, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Now, I know there's a lot going on in that paragraph. Don't worry, you can catch it all immediately. Lots going on, lots of word play going on in there, but in summary, Paul's simply saying this. If you were to pin it right down, first of all, you and I will suffer trials and afflictions, all right? Just want to announce that to you. It was part of our announcements for the week. By the way, King's Church, you will suffer trials 
and afflictions. We just shall. It's part of being believers in a world that is fallen. Fact is, if I asked everyone here, if I gave you a felt-tip pen and I asked you to write on the, 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 the wall all of the troubles you're facing right now, whether it's money problems or marriage or trouble with your children or work, look, if we did that, we'd cover this wall easily and work our way out into the spine and beyond. Right? We are all facing stuff. That is how it works. And so Paul says, we are called to impart God's compassion and comfort, which we have received, to each other. We become channels of his compassion. That's what we're called to do. And in fact, it's one of those things that should mark us out, that should make us a heavenly community. It's how well we do this. And, and the better at it we become, the more heavenly our church community shall be, and actually the more we shall impact our society. It's a missional thing, actually. It's not introverted, it's missional. It is. The more distinctive we become as those who are full of mercy and compassion, more and more that's our culture and community, the more it will stand out from the world around us and the more it will mobilize us to get out there too. Hallelujah. So you and I, we are channels for God's compassion. And Paul actually gives examples of this several chapters on. So in the seventh chapter, Paul says this. He says, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. Right? In other words, Titus came and he was a channel and imparter of God's comfort. So, we are to be Tituses to each other. You are a Titus this morning. Put Titus in your name. And look, can I be really honest about this with you this morning? This is Uncle Pete sharing his heart. Looking back across my lengthening life, you know, I've had some amazingly high moments. You're looking at a very blessed man. If I sit down for more than a few moments and think of what God has done in me, I am amazed and astounded. I have known such highs in my life. I am a blessed man. But listen, I'll be real with you, I've also had some pretty rubbish moments too. Oh yes, I have. Terrible moments of darkest grief and sadness. At times, watching loved ones in great pain slowly fading away. Once or twice I felt so bad that it brought me to the brink of burnout and depression. That is the truth. Or to put it in Churchill's terms, I have heard the black dog barking, if you know what that is. I know what it is to be very, very down. That's the truth. But you see, I can also testify that during those times I have, yes, I've been comforted by God wonderfully, but I've also experienced his comfort and compassion profoundly through his people. In recent years, by this family here. Oh, yes, I have. Sometimes it's just through a text, thinking of you, praying for you. Sometimes it's by a prayer. Sometimes it's been by a coffee or a, an evening meal left on the doorstep when I come home at night and there's this meal there. Times when I've seen a supportive face at a graveside or an arm around me, man, I can remember standing among you on a Sunday morning at Altair College four or five years ago as the worship was playing, weeping through the worship, unable to keep my tears in anymore, 
and feeling hands around me and an arm around me, encouraging my soul. Through all of that, experiencing so deeply God's compassion and comfort, in fact, to such a degree that it saved me from sliding into a deeper pit. To receive such compassion through the church family is wonderful and powerful. And also, can I say, I've known the incredible privilege too of being an agent of the Father's compassion as well. Whether I've been sending a text or gave someone a call or sat by a hospital bedside or sat with a grieving parent or, yeah, occasionally on and off, not so much in New Zealand, but certainly in the UK, holding people as they passed on uh, and their immediate family. It's a wonderful privilege. Actually, it's an expression of honour. You know, that word that we sometimes dust off and bring out again and think about. Because when you text someone or call someone, you're really saying to them, you are important to me. And therefore, I want to acknowledge what you're going through and support you. It's a mark of honour. Now, now, for us to continue to grow in this, because no one is even pretending we've got it nailed. <laughs> We're not pretending. For every phone call I've made for someone, I've probably dropped six or seven other phone calls that I didn't make. No one's pretending. We've not got it nailed down. But if we want to grow in this, look, this chapter's great because in it you can clearly see at least two essential ingredients that can help us grow in this. Two essential ingredients. Here they are. I'll just put them up there. Number one is authenticity. Number two is understanding. Through these two, the Father's compassion and comfort can really come alive and be experienced among us as a local church community. So first of all, authenticity. Authenticity, the first one. You see it in this first chapter in the 8th verse, actually. Verse 8, this is Paul speaking again. He says this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. You say, well, well, what is that? That's authenticity, all right? Paul's saying, we don't want you to be uninformed. Paul's great at this. It's really, I do not want you to be uninformed. Because Paul's, he's writing this. It's really about Paul, actually. He's the autobiographical element. He's saying, I don't want you to be uninformed about my troubles, about the rubbish time I've had. I mean, he's so open and vulnerable and transparent about his disappointments, his despair, his troubles. So open. And you'll see this again and again in 2 Corinthians. Later on, he'll talk about being perplexed and downcast and, and fears within and, and hard-pressed and so on and so on. He's, he's authentically, brutally honest. He's not trying to pretend he's okay, I'm in control, God's man of power for the hour. Not at all. In fact, he's actually bringing up the subject himself. I don't want you to be, I want you to know about this. We've had a terrible time, lost it completely. It was beyond us. Total despair, felt like it was all over. Wonderful vulnerability. And this is to the Corinthians, who already don't think much of him. Right? The other ones who say, you're not a very impressive person. And these other big super apostles, they've got it sorted. But you, eh, not so impressive. So this is even to them, he's saying, I want you to know this. I'm not holding back. 
Now, it's important for us to see this because, because you know, <laughs> this is the truth. It's really hard to receive God's compassion and comfort through his people when they don't even know you're struggling. It's really hard. It's really hard. Because you've got your mask up and you're looking spiritual and they ask you at the door, how are you? And you said, oh, just fine, brother. It's really hard. And it's really sad for you because if you're not careful, you can find yourself starved of the comfort and compassion the Father wants to give you and what you need. And just to say, I can testify to that too. I was raised in that Kiwi culture that refuses to be open and honest about any weakness. Just the way I was brought up. Come on, you're an all black or you're, you're what you want to be. Come on. And uh, trouble is, so I, I know what it is to feel vulnerable. It's very easy, and I can testify how it feels to be starved of that comfort that God longs to give. And, 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 it's, and it makes you feel very lonely, doesn't it? Very lonely and disconnected. You can feel isolated. I can remember that strange feeling I had many years ago. Now it seems like four years ago, I think it was, in Wellington Hospital. My sister, we had just had this interview with the consultant who said, um, there is nothing we can do. The chemotherapy hasn't worked you will not last much longer. And so I'm supporting my sister, holding her up in this room as the consultant is quite methodically going through and then leaves the room. I'm holding her up. I help her through, get her back to her room. Uh, I need something to eat. I'm hungry, been there all day. I go out, I cross the road into the countdown across the road or whatever it was back then, cross to the dairy, and I'm walking in there, I'm queuing up, and there are kids everywhere and people shouting and barging and people rah, 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 all around. And I'm thinking, you haven't got a clue what I'm going through. You do not know. You're on a different planet. I feel so far from you guys. It's a terrible, terrible thing. You know, what grieves me is that it's possible to feel that way in the church. Because the tragedy is that you can be standing here today and raising your hands in worship and smiling at the door and yet be totally falling apart on the inside. Now that will easily happen in the world. It should not be that way among us. Because the church of all places on earth is called to be the place of true healing and freedom. Amen. So guys, we want to grow in this, don't we? We want to grow in this. Can I just say... Now, just a little aside here, this is one of the reasons connect groups are so important. You say, what's a connect group for anybody who doesn't know? Well, all that is is smaller gatherings of people who meet regularly in homes on a regular basis. Connect group was announced earlier. This week, connect groups. And they're great, you see, because over time you build friendships and trust, and then it's so much easier to be vulnerable and authentic. And so these groups become places to receive the Father's compassion when you're in need and just as important, if not more so, places to impart the Father's compassion to others. So it's not all about you. I mean, someone once said to me years ago, I don't want to go to a small group because I don't get anything out of it. And I remember saying, well, who cares? It's actually not about you. It's, it's what are you giving away in it? Are you a, really, what I'm saying is are you a channel of comfort and compassion? And so these groups can become channels for the Father's love. Can I just say, if you're not part of a connect group at the moment, come on, join one. Come and see me straight afterwards. I'll point you in the right direction. Come be part of us. You say, well, I don't think I need. I've got no problems. Well, you may not now, but when you do, where will you turn? For Christian faith-filled 
comfort and compassion because your family may not have that. Where do you turn? So, authenticity, being willing to open up about our needs is important. It activates the Father's compassion in the church and you'll see in a few moments Paul will be receiving the comfort that the church can give as a result. So let's cultivate this because the potential is that we become a community like no other. And so when people come among us, they'll find themselves thinking, my, how they love one another. This is the place where I can truly find healing and relationship. I was talking to someone several months ago who simply said to me, I've been around many churches and I'm desperate to find the real thing. And part of me thought, oh God, please make us that. Please make us that. Part of my own discipline, just to say, this is a bit of homework for you, I try and answer honestly to people when they ask me how I am. Which is why when some of you have asked me, uh, I've paused for a moment and thought seriously before I answered. Uh, and I'm trying to get better at that. Don't worry, I won't dump everything on you, but, uh, but I will try and be honest with you. And so I'm learning to break the mold of that kind of cultural thing, that kind of stronghold. So, so that's one key ingredient that Paul talks about in this chapter is authenticity. All right? The second ingredient is, is this, it's understanding, and we'll close with this, understanding. What do I mean by that? Understanding what? Well, well in this chapter, it's really understanding the power of compassion and comfort that is released when we pray for one another. When we pray for one another. So in verse 10, Paul starts talking about his trials and he says this, he says, God has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him, we've set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Right? That's profound. You see what he's saying? He's saying, look, we believe we shall be delivered from our terrible troubles that we've been telling you about as you pray for us. In other words, your prayers are helpful. They are powerful. They are powerful. They will make the difference. I love the last bit. For the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. When you pray, you release gracious favor to someone else. That's what it's saying. Gracious favor. You release it when you pray. And Paul, you see, has a, has a very high view of praying for each other. So in Ephesians 6, if you remember, he's talking about the armor of God and, and spiritual conflict and so on. And then he talks about the armor, goes through the armor. Uh, but, but he builds up to, to verse 18 in Ephesians 6. He says this, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Right? Paul has a very high view of this. Sometimes I think we just need to refresh ourselves in this truth that when you pray for a brother or sister, gracious favor is imparted. It's a heavenly transaction. Something in God occurs. Grace is released. It's not, we don't just pray because it's a thing to do like you used to do when you were a child and they wanted to give thanks at the dinner table before you ate. It's not that. This is real impartation of heavenly grace when you pray. 
And look, I can remember standing in this place here and we all stood on our feet and we were praying about a little boy, I think it was, in intensive care in the UK that, and he was on the verge of death and we prayed that God would raise him up and we heard the week afterwards that he came through. It's the impartation of grace. I can remember a few Sundays ago, and I asked Digi whether I could share this, when we were praying for each other or commanding sickness to go, which is a form of prayer. And uh, Digi put his hand up responding to a w word from God. I went over to him and, uh, and we just gathered around and began to pray. And he said, well, I said, what is it? He said, bad head, very bad head. You, you look bad, Digi. You weren't a happy man. You were struggling and uh, we felt for you. So we, gathered, we prayed, we, we commanded and, and I said, any difference? He said, at first he said, no. Oh, okay, let's try again, let's try again. So we continued to, to call out and speak healing. And, and then, then I remember he said, I said, any dif different? He said, yeah, a bit better. And, uh, and then a bit, bit better. And then we had to move on suddenly because of the meeting. We had to move on again. And then, uh, but I know we had the lunch on that Sunday and a lovely Digi came and sat down and he said, I need to tell you, I need to tell you. It's totally gone. I'm fine. And it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. What is that? That's the impartation of God's gracious favour. That's what that is. It's powerful. It's not a little thing. It's powerful. Powerful stuff. We need to understand again the power of compassion and comfort that is released when we pray for one another. It's like the prayer gathering tonight. I think of 7 o'clock to 8.30. You know what? There's 101 other things I could be doing tonight. All important. And some of them are very important. I don't despise that. But I do know this, that when I get there tonight, I will have the privilege of releasing gracious favour to those in need, and even to whole nations. Wow, what a way to spend an hour or so. What a wonderful privilege. What a privilege. I get to be an agent of God's comfort and his compassion. He is the Father of compassion. He is the God of all comfort. That is a glorious, glorious truth. And he's called you into this community to be a channel of his compassion. What a privilege. He saved us out of futility and brought us into eternal destiny. What a privilege. So can I just say to you this morning, come on, take your place, be involved in the community, not just sporadically, every now and then. No, come and be involved. Not in a connect group. Hey, I'll point you to the right one. Come. Be involved and be a channel of his grace. And let's see if we can't build a heavenly community that will draw many to Jesus, both as they come among us and as it flows over us into the community in a variety of many, many ways. I think it's worth doing, don't you? Let's build that kind of community. Let's just be really bold and say, that's the kind of church we're going to be. Let's just go for broke. Even if we half get it right, it's still better than where we are. Actually, by the grace of God, I know he will carry us because this is his heart and this is his truth. And therefore, he wants to see it brought through in his people because he loves, in fact, so loved the world that he gave his son. Let's stand, shall we? Let's just stand where we are.